CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Cooper alongside Michael Garrell. Happy New Year. Uh, happy holidays. We hope everybody enjoyed their holidays. And it's 2019, and we are back for another year of the Canadian Football Countdown. Mr. Michael Garrell, how are you today? I'm great, and uh, I'm ready for what could be a crazy 2019 uh, in the CFL, not the least of which is the... Uh, Pending CBA negotiations. Right, yeah. We talk about a crazy season of CFL coming in 2019. That's, you know, if we actually do get a season, which obviously everybody has their fingers crossed and uh, hoping and praying that that is, in fact, the case. Uh, but that remains to be seen. Um, the last time we were here on the podcast together was before the Grey Cup. A uh, couple days before that, uh, game took place. We haven't done our 2018 wrap-up yet, so that's what we're going to do here today, because uh, I know I've been taking some time uh, just to relax, get away, uh, enjoy some time off over the holidays. I haven't been following the off-season news as closely as I would have liked so far. I don't know about you, Mike. Uh, so for today, we're just going to recap, uh, kind of do our 2018 year interview, talk a little about the Grey Cup, about the season, and then next time we'll start getting into what's happened in the off season thus far. Sounds great. Sounds great. Uh, so let's get right into it then. Uh, before we do that, though, I uh, just want to remind everyone that the Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Check out all of the other great shows at cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. Mike, Grey Cup 2018, the Calgary Stampeders. We talked about it every year. We talk about it all season long. It's the only thing you can ever talk about with this team is that, yeah, 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 regular season success, regular season success, year after year, doesn't mean anything if you can't get it done in the big game. They don't get it done in the big game for two straight tries, but this year, third time's the charm. 27-16, the Calgary Stampeders took the Grey Cup. Yeah, it's kind of, if you watch the game, you know, you're not really surprised, but it's kind of my old adage, right? Three or four or five plays define a football game. And for me, the game turned in Calgary's favor for good when they got that punt return right at the end of the first half. Right. And of course, this game is now, what, a month and a half ago, and you know, we're getting ready to do this podcast today, and I go and ask Mike, do you remember what happened? Because, uh, frankly, I didn't, but we both watched the highlights here. I've got all the stats in front of us here, so we're trying to piece things together, admittedly. Uh, but, yeah, that uh, I remember when watching that game, you know, first half, you kind of trade the, the team's trade punches. It looks like Calgary's getting a little head. All of a sudden, uh, late in the second quarter, uh Huge touchdown catch by Julian Fiole-Gadino for the Ottawa Red Blacks. They get back into this game, and you think momentum's on their side going into the second half. And then uh, Terry Williams sets a, I believe, a CFL record, a Grey Cup record for uh, punt return touchdown uh, on the final play with one second left in the first half. Uh, really changed the momentum in Calgary's favor. I, I can't exactly remember the situation. But aren't you better off as a punter just to step back, let the clock run out and take a knee? Or better yet, tip the ball away from the guy running it fast? I mean, common sense would probably say yes. In that case, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It ended up going, though, to Terry Williams, and he took it back to the house. I mean, chances are you're asking for trouble, but chances are as well... Um, you know, you need to, in 92 or 95% of circumstances, rely on your special teams to make at least one tackle anywhere on the field in that instance. Right. And that didn't happen. And 
in large part because I think he outkicked his coverage. Mm. And a couple of moves and, you know, as we know, he's a shifty guy and he left that guy in space and he can do what he did. Yeah. I mean, you, you generally don't expect the guy to go 97 yards on the final play and a half, but then again, when you're kicking the ball, and again, you and I, I you already mentioned, we don't remember the exact circumstances of this punt, um, but you would kind of think you probably don't want to take the chance either way. But at the end of the day, uh, huge play by Terry Williams, who I was just reminded upon watching the highlights, uh, didn't play the week before and was actually scheduled for off-season shoulder surgery, but put it off just to play in the Grey Cup because, as you remember, I believe it was that game against Winnipeg where Romar Morris, uh, who had been doing a lot of the return duties, was actually uh, carted off. Right, and then you you kind of just tough it out, and, and that's, to be honest, what makes that performance all the more the better. Major storyline, I think, in this game, certainly coming in, right? Uh, if you go back to the division finals, you had the Ottawa Red Blacks against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Quarterback Trevor Harris setting multiple CFL records with uh, highest completion percentage in a playoff game, threw for six touchdowns in that game. And you come into this game, a lot of people were all of a sudden saying, Ottawa's got, actually has the advantage in this game, you know, but Calgary flipped the script on them pretty quick. They forced six turnovers in this game. We talked all season long about how dominant Calgary's defense was, especially early on in the season, and uh, they showed up in the in the Grey Cup when it mattered most. And, you know, Calgary's offense, I didn't think, had a spectacular game, I would say. Uh, certainly they, uh, they had some turnovers of their own. Bo Levi Mitchell threw two touchdowns, but also threw two interceptions. Um, and then the defense just stepped up big time and, you know, made it so that Mitchell and the rest of the offense only needed to do a bit to get it done. Now, as you recall, Ryan may or may not recall, it was a month and a half ago, actually, but do you remember what was made of the field conditions and how everybody was kind of up in arms one team anyway about how hard the field was and and the field was ice and very slippery and all that yeah supposedly the field wasn't cleaned properly uh or something like that i know they did just have a big snowfall right before um players slipping all over the place and yeah like you said uh, a lot of players were up in arms you know biggest game of the season you you want you don't want the field conditions to play a factor in it right how is it and and this is my this is just my two cents on it and, and it's kind of going to get to get to get to what i want to talk about anyway but that week in edmonton as you recall the teams practiced in the field house next to the field all week including the walkthrough they were not on the actual field at Commonwealth until game day. Right. How are you supposed to make adjustments? And I understand that, you know, these are professional athletes, yada, 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 yada. But why not let them practice in the conditions? Because, in my opinion, Ottawa's offense predicates itself on a lot of those hook passes. Mm-hmm. i.e. passes with timing, passes with, you know, that require, you know, two feet on the ground. A half a second difference either way does a lot for a team like Ottawa's offense. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to say the field conditions threw Ottawa out of sync, but you can't tell me that you can't put a tarp on the field at, at Commonwealth Stadium prior to the game. That way, if it does snow or you have whatever leading up to the game, the field itself is, isn't damaged. That way, on the day of the game, you just pull the tarp off, and then you uh, you have an okay-ish field for the game, a much better field than what you have when it's not covered. Yeah, I, I can't argue against that. I, I think you're very... Very much in the right on that one, Mike. It's honestly like 
You have your biggest showcase game of the year in the CFL, and the game day talks seem to be about the field conditions rather than rather than the game. Right. Uh, so Calgary wins 27-16. Uh, Grey Cup MVP goes to quarterback Bowie by Mitchell. Uh, in hindsight, uh, did you agree with that assessment at the time, or was there someone more deserving you thought? It, it, this is just a general rule of thumb for me. It annoys the hatch out of me that quarterbacks, and I'm going to take the NFL into this too because I think it's the same. Sure. It annoys me that a major football game such as Grey Cup, Super Bowl, everybody seems to right away gravitate to the performance of the quarterback. I think, to be honest with you, the MVP should go to to the player or to the player or players if there's more than one that turn the game in said team's favor. But to, to me, Bowley by Mitchell was great. Oh, sorry, Bowley by Mitchell was good, but he wasn't lights out. Like, he didn't throw for 350 yards right. and five touchdowns. Because as I recall, and I, I don't have the stats in front of me, you, you do, Ryan. Yep. There was a, a very good defensive performance as well. I thought Calgary was buoyed also by a great defense, which I think, you know, handing the MVP to a guy like Bowley by Mitchell under shadows what the defense was able to do. I thought you could have easily given uh, the, the returner William. player of the game. I, I, I know it's one play, but I'll tell you what, it's a fairly significant play. And it just, it just confuses me that you know, the quarterback gets singled out for what I thought was the team win for Calgary. And I think if there was any game in which either a special teams player or a defensive player could have made a case for MVP in a football championship game, this was the one. I, I, I agree with you there. You talked about the defensive performance. You know, Alex Singleton had eight tackles. Uh, Trey Roberson had five tackles and a key interception. Like, like there were some guys that definitely stepped up a lot on defense. Like we said, they forced six turnovers. I, I, I agree with you on that one. And this almost goes into the conversation Mike and I were having the other day about the NHL when Mike all of a sudden asks me, you know, I'm a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, and he starts asking me, Nikita Kucherov of the Lightning, uh, will he win the Hart Trophy this year, which is most valuable player, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which, you know, most valuable player does not equal most outstanding player. And I know CFL, uh, uh, for the regular season, goes and gives out most outstanding player. But for the Grey Cup, it's Grey Cup MVP, I believe, right? Right, yeah, yeah. And, and so you go and you see, you know, yeah, Nikita Kucherov in the NHL is a, a, like crushing it in the scoring race, but the Tampa Bay Lightning are such a deep team that... Is he really the most valuable player to his team? Probably not. They'd probably still do okay without him. Uh, whereas you have, you know, the guy who won it last year, Taylor Hall, was the only one really doing much for the New Jersey Devils. I kind of see I see that parallel to the CFL here, where it's like, okay, I get you want to give it to the winning quarterback because he's the most important player on the team, but, you know, Bowie by Mitchell did not carry the team to a win in this game. And that's, to me, what I saw anyway was the fact that Chowdhury's offense was very up and down, especially in the second half. And frankly, until about midway through the fourth quarter, Ottawa had all the chances in the world to climb back in this game. And they turned the ball over. They turned the ball over. They turned the ball over seemingly in every possible opportunity, but they had a chance to dip back in the game. And last I saw, Bowley by Mitchell isn't responsible for Ottawa turnovers. No, this is not uh, like slander Bowley by Mitchell or anything. Let's both Absolutely. be clear here. Um, he, he played a good game. He did enough. He finally he overcame uh, the last two years of history against them. He made the plays he needed to. He got the job done. And now we'll see. He might be in the NFL this year. And we'll talk a little bit more about that probably on the next episode of the show. All the guys and their NFL tryouts and such. But uh, 
you know, Bo Levi Mitchell got it done. Congratulations to him. I believe I, I and I could be entirely wrong on this, but I believe he's the first Calgary Stampeders quarterback to win two Grey Cups. Yeah, something like with that. With the team or something like that, uh, at least in the recent history. So uh, congratulations to him. He wins uh, Grey Cup MVP. Now, every year they also give out another award at the Grey Cup, Mike, which is the most outstanding Canadian uh, in the Grey Cup game. And I find it interesting, and I was trying to find who's won it the last couple of years, um, because normally you would expect, like, some, both of these teams have some incredible Canadians on there, right? You've got right. Singleton for Calgary. You've got Brad Sinopoli for Ottawa. These are two guys, I, I know Andrew Harris, uh, I believe, the uh out west instead of Alex Singleton this year, but there's two. These two guys are outstanding Canadian players. You expect going into the game, it's probably going to be one of these two that goes and takes it. But every year, Mike, it seems you always have these underrated Canadians that step up in the Grey Cup. I go back to the one that we saw here, and uh, when the Eskimos and the Red Blacks played in 2015, I believe Calvin McCarty actually won it that year. Mm. I could be wrong on that. And this year you had Julian Fioli Godino step up with a big touchdown catch for the Red Blacks. And you had Lamar Durant uh, for the Calgary Stampeders win most outstanding Canadian. What What is it about uh, these underrated Canadians in the Grey Cup? It's good. I mean, I, I believe, and as it should be, it's the, the Grey Cup is separate from that of the season. So the Grey Cup awards are singular award based on that game's performance you know i have no problem with you know a player who we haven't heard of or is less known than that of other players winning awards and in fact that's often what games like this come down to everybody knows about the stars of said team you know bo levi mitchell uh trevor harris uh Brad Sinopoli, Deontay Spencer, um, Tamar Jordan, guys like that. Like everybody knows who is expected to come in and to make the play. You know, uh, Badelton, guys like that. But let's see who the James that James that um, moves with to find who wins the game and who um, steps up above the other team in a game like the Great Cup is often decided by guys who are quote-unquote unheralded players. Whoever gets the most from their depth players, so to say, often wins games like this. That's a great way to put it. Uh, just fact-check myself on that. It was actually Shamad Chambers that won the Grey Cup, uh, our most most valuable Canadian in 2015 here in Winnipeg. Uh, last couple of years, winners, Jerome Messam last year for Calgary, Brad Sinopoli the year before. So you do have, you know, years where the guys you expect do step up. But like you said, that doesn't mean the depth players don't step up, right? And every year it seems to be that's the case because y you prepare for this game, you know, a mm -hmm. lot, right? Because it all comes mm -hmm. down to this game. You've mm -hmm. seen for 21, 22 weeks now, uh, 23, I guess, coming in, of what these guys on the other team have made up. You know that they know who your go-to guys are. So you prepare with those other guys on the side that maybe don't right. have as much involvement. You know, right. you try to change it up and say, okay, they're expecting this. Let's do this instead. And, and so I, I think that happens a lot, and I think that happened. And... Uh, you know, yeah, Alex Singleton had a great game with eight tackles, but I think Lamar Durant was a key player in that game, and I think he deserved the most most valuable Canadian award. Uh, he had four catches for something like 30 yards and a, a key touchdown uh, in the second quarter, and a big run to add to it as well, and a key uh, tackle on defense even. And here's the thing. If I did liken this to basketball just for one minute. We're we're likening all the sports. I love this. But anyway, it, it's like basketball, right? You have your starting five, and then you have your, your, your five or six reserve guys on the bench. 
if you look at it, about 85% of basketball games, maybe maybe closer to 90, are won by the team that has the most bench points scored. Same thing. If you can have guys on the bench outscored, outscore the other team's bench, you more than likely win the game in the NBA. Same, same thing with uh, the CFL. If I could draw a comparison to the National Lawn Bowling Championships. Oh, dear. I'm just kidding, Mike. Oh, dear. <laughs> that one. Uh, I've never watched. It looks fun, but uh, I've never watched the National Lawn Bowling Championships. If they exist, uh, I'm sure they do. Uh, anything else you want to talk about in terms of uh, Grey Cup 2018 before we talk a little more about the season as a whole? Well, it, it seemed to me, and as has been evidenced by the move, uh, by the moves that Calgary has done so far, um, this obviously we can get into that now if you want or later, but it seems to me like both Calgary and Ottawa and the league as a whole, but when they tip off in in uh, late May with the preseason and in June with the regular season, that things aren't going to be what they were uh, this past year. And some years more than others, but, you know, I, I just feel like we're in a situation where, you know, the winds of change in the CFL are blowing. And the question is just how hard will they blow? Right. Yeah, you... And, and I look at it as simple as, you know, and I don't want to get too much into this because I know we're going to talk about it next time. But something that I kind of thought of this morning was, you know, you're in a real situation where five or six of the nine teams have questions at quarterback in the lead. Yeah. And I think that is going to be so enticing if players like, you know, Mike Riley or Bowley by Mitchell you know, just to name a few, go into the NFL, and I'm not saying that Mike Riley is going to go in the NFL. I know he had a had an NFL workout. But that is going to make the demand for services like Mike Riley, for services like Chris Traveler even, in Winnipeg. There is going to be a demand for said player services because I don't believe that this quarterback pool is very deep and it's like, I like it to a game of musical chairs. <laughs> when the music stops, somebody's going to be left without a chair. In this case, somebody's going to be left without a quarterback. I think it's become apparent that our New Year's resolution for 2019 is to include as many obscure references as possible in the podcast. But, but, <laughs> but it made sense. It it's does, like, it does. So so now I'm wondering how many quarterbacks or how many teams are going to go after other teams that have said depth on, at the quarterback position. And I don't know if you saw the quote from John Huffnagel this week coming out of uh, CFL meetings uh, this week. He would like an answer from Bolivar Mitchell whether he's going to the NFL by free agency so that he could maybe, so that they could maybe look at a at a quarterback with CFL experience to bring him in uh, to replace Bowley by Mitchell. My next my next question is, who's that gonna be? Because <laughs> last because last I checked, there's about six other teams in that boat. Drew Willie's available. Well, and that's just that might be what it comes down to. Yeah, and and I see where John Huffnagel's coming from because you're not gonna go and pay money to get a starting quarterback if all of a sudden you can have Bo Levi Mitchell come back like two weeks later, right? Right, and it's also a dare. It's almost like you need to have two salary caps, right? One with Bo Levi Mitchell in your plans and one without. And I think the same goes for the Edmonton Eskimos. You need to have one budget that has Mike Riley if he's signed, another budget, because to be honest with you, the salary that Mike Riley will command, I think will be close to $400,000. That's just me. And I and he's earned that pay. Oh, absolutely. But what holes can you fill with $400,000 a lot if Mike Riley's not on your team, right? So you, you kind of have to look at it as, you know, do we cut an arm off 
to make our team all around better, right? And I, I think that's what teams are juggling with. So, so let me ask you this question then, uh, based mm-hmm. off of John Huffnagel's comments. This is an interesting scenario now here for me. Is okay, he wants an answer from Bo Levi Mitchell by free agency. Let's say Mitchell doesn't have, you know, an NFL contract by that point because he has said back uh, back at the end of last year that, you know, if he's going to go out and try for the NFL, he, he's not going to the NFL just to try to get, you know, a practice roster spot where he's not actually playing. No, he's only going to want to sign a contract where he, you know, is involved in the team, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of CFL guys go down south. You know, they play on the practice roster for a little while. You make a lot more money doing that, sure, Mm -hmm. but you don't Mm -hmm. really get the opportunity to play. I think Adam Bighill is an example of that, right, where he didn't really, for a little while, actually get uh, into the game. So let's say he doesn't have a confirmed contract by February, but Bolivai Mitchell still does have opportunities down south because he's gotten a lot of workouts so far. He Mm -hmm. He tells John Huffnagel, I don't know yet. Huffnagel goes out, finds another quarterback. All of a sudden, Bo doesn't get a job in the NFL, and he comes back to the CFL. What what does John Huffnagel do? Does he take the new quarterback he goes and gets and cuts him loose, and here comes Bo Levi Mitchell back? Or do we look at Bo potentially wearing a different CFL uniform? I, I, I don't have the answer to that, Ryan. And I think this is where I told about that Kevin Glenn will be one of the most sought after quarterbacks. Oh, he's going first in that uh, 2020 Atlantic Schooners draft, so... uh, Maybe, maybe. No, he's going first, Mike. But all of a sudden, it sounds to me like Trevor Harris is going to sign in Ottawa. Why not? Well, based on what I read and what I heard this week, everybody said it should be be, uh, cut and dry, easy, I want to stay here. Right. If it was so easy, wouldn't the deal be done already? There's always more involved uh, than people think. You know, we look at it as like, hey, this player is good. This team is good. Player, uh, good player on Mm -hmm. your team. Mm -hmm. Boom, signed, sealed, delivered. Let's get it done. There's a lot of different factors in any contract negotiation, right? So I try not to read too much into that. Right. So uh, Yeah, I try not to read too much into that. I, I fully expect Trevor Harris to be back with the Ottawa Red Blacks. But all of a sudden, the list of teams that need a quarterback becomes bigger than the list of teams that have a proven quarterback and a backup. Right. Yeah. And depending on what happens here, and I don't want to, you know, toot, toot the horn too loud, but this plays to the benefit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. For certainly. Because they're sitting there going... All these other teams have issued their quarterbacks that need to be resolved. We're sitting here with continuity. Paul LaFelice is back. Sure, we might lose some top-end free agents elsewhere, but at the end of the day, isn't priority one to try to get Adam Bagel back and priority number two, or one or two, depending which priority number you place, to have a significant starting plan and a backup plan at quarterback? I think so. Those teams that don't even have a plan as to what they're going to do for starters, let alone backup plans. So I, and, the, and the Bombers are covered in both those departments. So let's talk about, uh, you know, the 2018. We're talking about quarterbacks right now. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the 2018 season, kind of around the league's quarterback play-wise. I got the stats up in front of me here, passing yards-wise. You have Mike Riley finished first, 5,562. Jeremiah Mazzoli had a huge, uh, strong year for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, earned himself an MOP nominee. Uh, the Eastern nominee for that, he had over 5,000 yards, so did Mitchell. Uh, Trevor Harris had over 5,000. And then you take a huge drop-off. You have Matt Nichols at 3,146 is next. So you have these four quarterbacks, Riley, Mazzoli, Mitchell, and Trevor Harris, all over 5,000. Next highest after that is 3,146 from Matt Nichols because you have a lot of teams here where, sure, you had some quarterback injuries. We also had a lot of teams that, uh, you know, kind of fluctuated at the quarterback position here and there and had some struggles. How much, though, to be frank with you, did Matt Nichols 
numbers take a hit. I know he had the injury to begin the year. But as you recall, the Bombers used Chris Strebler in a lot of those surefire touchdown situations. Strebler himself had double digits in touchdowns, which took away from Matt Nichols' ability maybe to throw touchdowns or rush touchdowns or, or get passing yards and all that. So I'm just curious about the fact that you know, the, the upper echelon team didn't really use backups. Right. Hence their passing yards being a little more. Those teams also, by the same token, don't have a guy by the name of uh, Andrew Harris who can run the ball. Right. So, But you have Trevor's, Trevor Harris over 5,000 yards, and you have William Powell who finishes just 18 yards lower than Andrew Harris. So, and you have... And you have C.J. Gable finishing third in rushing over 1,000 yards. So it, it just goes to show you that Edmonton, that Calgary, that Ottawa had very strong two-way offenses. Right. And, and in the same sense, too, I think at the end of the day, offense hurt the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the biggest game of the season in Calgary uh, in, the, in the West Final. But to, to me, if the Bombers put two or three touchdown drives on the board in that game, we're playing in the Grey Cup and maybe winning the Grey Cup. Yeah, I, I don't know how that Grey Cup game would have gone uh, either way, but that was certainly the issue there. Uh, so let me ask you this, Mike. So we have those, we have those four quarterbacks that passed 5,000 yards this year. Yep. Everybody knows Mike Riley is elite. Everybody knows Bo Levi Mitchell is elite. That's That's been established, those two things, for a couple of years already. And all the talk has been, okay, who else is in this upper echelon of CFL quarterbacks? Does Jeremiah Mazzoli belong up there? Does Trevor Harris belong up there? What is your answer to both of those? Mazzoli, yes. Harris, no. Why not? Uh, first of all, why yes on Mazzoli? Uh, just because I think it, it, it speaks for himself what he was able to do with all those receivers out at Hamilton, as you recall. That, that's an excellent point. Trevor Harris... To me, the jury's still out on him a little bit. And I, I think, and I, I, I hate to be rude because I, I, I did talk to Trevor Harris at TFL Week and he's a great guy and all that. But I don't believe that, and yeah, you're going to come back at me probably, but Jeremiah Mazzoli hasn't done. But what do Bo Levi Mitchell and Mike Riley have in common with their teams? They've won great cups. Exactly. I I don't believe that Trevor Harris is an upper echelon quarterback. I, I don't think you really hit elite status in the CFL until you win a great cup. Okay, I will I'll, I'll respond to that with this, Mike. How many years has Mike Riley been the starting quarterback of his team? How many years has Bo Levi Mitchell been the starting quarterback of his team? This was the first full year Mazzoli was a starter. And uh, he was an Eastern MOP nominee. This was the second year that Trevor Harris has been the starter of the Red Blacks. He won the Great Cup behind Henry Burris in 2015. But mm-hmm. Burris, I don't think, played that full year. And Harris was an instrumental part of that. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like these guys have been with their teams for years upon years to go and say, mm-hmm. oh, you know, clearly he can't get it done with the team he's a part of because he has They've been on the team for two years, and Trevor Harris was in the Grey Cup this year. Yeah. See, I don't know. It, to me, I think it's such a such a funny thing, right? And maybe we're guilty of this, attributing team success as to whether a quarterback has hit the upper echelon of the CFL. Yeah. Yeah. A team is, you know, how many ever did... How many guys on the roster on a single day? 46? Is it a 46-man roster? Yeah, 40, something like that. And then there's a couple scratches. Right, and then throw in all, all of everybody else, all the coaching staff. Like, it's a team sport. It's not all built around the quarterback, but certainly having an upper echelon quarterback puts you one step ahead before you even begin with the race. Um, I, I personally think they both belong up there. Uh, that game in the Eastern final against the tie cats when he threw six touchdown passes, basically confirmed that, uh, to me, I know, yeah, he took a bit of a step back in the gray cup game, but 
I think that was also an entirely different matchup uh, with the Calgary Stampeders defense just being that good. Let's talk about then the the teams that didn't fare as well at the quarterback position. You okay? We already talked a bit about the Bombers. You know, Matt Nichols. Yeah, he's just passes three thousand one hundred yards. He did miss a couple games this year. Strevler did get some reps in some of them, but Matt Nichols only had one game over three hundred yards passing. You had the Saskatchewan Rough Riders who. Brought in Zach Kaloros, expected him to be a huge success. He did. He struggled for a lot of the year. Um, he was also injured. Uh, you have BC, who fluctuated between Jonathan Jennings and Travis Lule back and forth, partially due to injury, but nobody could seem to really take the reins and light it up. Uh, had the same problem in Toronto when Ricky Ray went down in Week 2. James Franklin... Uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson going back and forth between those two guys. Uh, you look at the Montreal Alouettes then, uh, I think they had five, six different quarterbacks on the year. So my question then to you is, based on last year, which team are you most concerned about at the quarterback position going into 2019? Oh boy. Um, a team I'm concerned about as a whole? At, at the quarterback position. Yeah, and, and this attributes to the quarterback position, too, is Toronto. Why Toronto? Because there's these well-documented struggles. Uh, Montreal, the franchise, is another whole different story. But I think surrounding Montreal with talent, with the current quarterback that they have in Johnny Manzo, I think they'll be okay. There just seems to be no way out of this for Toronto. And... When I hear Corey Chamberlain, the new head coach in Toronto, tell the media this week at the general manager meetings, he's had trouble hiring quality coaches because of the coach's salary cap. That's concerning to me. Um, that these players aren't getting, you know, proper, aren't going to be getting quality coaches because of the salary cap. But in the same sense, too, I don't think you can go anywhere without a proper plan at quarterback. And I think it just speaks to the situation that James Franklin had, that maybe we were a little premature in suggesting that he is ready for prime time, ready for number one job. And I think the same thing could have been said with, Drew Willie, right? Remember those Saskatchewan teams were always really, 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 really good? Yeah. And everybody everybody was like, oh, Willie's ready for number one in Winnipeg or wherever wherever he goes. Then all of a sudden these players come with good talent bases around them to teams that aren't necessarily very talented and, and can pick them up and are forced to be the guy. And then we find out they're not as good as they, they're not as good as we thought they were. And I think it's more so an all-around talent problem in Toronto than it is about the quarterbacking situation in Toronto. But how do you attract free agents? How do you attract people to play for your team when said prospective players look up on YouTube, Toronto Ardenoff football games? and see that there's 13,000 people in the stands, and then they have a chance to come to Regina, and they look up Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the history of the Riders, and they see 33,000 screaming fans every game. So I just think, to me, Toronto needs to make a decision who's their quarterback and try to recruit from there. And I don't know, it sounds to me like Corey Chamberlain's already setting himself up to fail when he says, I have trouble attracting quality coaches because of this coach's salary. Right. I, don't know if for, I don't know if for the betterment of the lead, you, if that's what you want to be hearing if you're Randy Ambrosi. Uh, Ricky Ray, any chance he plays again? I don't know. I, I have heard that he's retiring. I have heard that he's coming back to play. I have heard just about everything when it comes to Ricky Ray. And 
We have had quarterbacks, Ryan, in the history of the CFL, and, and this is way too concerning for me. We have had good-name quarterbacks, historic quarterbacks, whose careers have been derailed or, i.e., ended with injuries. Right. Anthony Calvillo. In this case, if he retires, Ricky Ray. In some cases, a guy that's not in the CFL anymore, Jerry and Durant. Because if you look at it, Durant... Hey, he's still uh, under contract with the Bombers. Technically speaking, yes. <laughs> but if you look at it, Durant was never the same quarterback ever since you, he had that injury in the Banjo Bowl a couple years ago. Right. It, it comes down to a thing where it's sad to see, but Toronto needs to figure out a way to... If, if you say James Franklin is your number one, I, I don't think Toronto has a lot of choice. I, I mean, it's James Franklin, or you try to bring in one of the big-name quarterbacks, which I don't think you're going to be able to lure because of just how bad your market situation is. And now you can't bring in quality coaches because of the coach's salary cap? That, to me, screams alarm bells. Let's talk defense for a little bit, Mike. Uh, in 2018, yeah, the, the Calgary Stampeders uh, allowing less than 20 points a game. Uh, you had some strong defenses, though, across the league, I think. Uh, Ottawa had a strong defense. Saskatchewan had the big ball-hawking defense. Hamilton had a strong defense. And, uh, you know, coming into the year, we thought, okay, this is interesting. Richie Hall, after all of the flack he's gotten for his defense last couple of years, Mike O'Shea stands behind him, says he's he's coming back for another year. They go out and get some big pieces on defense, namely Adam Big Hill. And we think, okay, well, this could be better. Early on, the Bombers' defense still struggles a little bit. But by the end of the year, they're one of the best defenses in the league. And now I think it's safe to say, and it's kind of a nice, fresh breath here of we have an off-season right now where we're not talking about and hearing every day on Winnipeg, uh, social media, radio, whatever, uh, Bombers needing to make a change at defensive coordinator. Richie Hall will be back next year. And at this point, I don't think anyone argues it. Well, I think it's a lot like everything else, right? Who, who won the Drake Cup? Calgary. How was their defense? Strong. Who was in last place? Toronto. How was their defense? Uh, they averaged 31.11 points against per game. Correlation? I, I think it's fairly strong. To me, to me, you don't win a game in the CFL without defense. Unless, or, unless you throw for six touchdown passes and 500 yards. Unless you try to figure out how to play defense in this league, too. Which, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the league is catered toward offense. Right. But the fact of the matter is, Hamilton just about reached the Drake Cup with a good defense. Hamilton was a great defense. They just had a bad afternoon against Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah Mazzoli was in over his head in that team, as you recall. Right. To me, to me, the thing was with Hamilton, they had such a great game against BC. It's almost like somebody forgot to reel them in and tell them that the Nets game started at zero. <laughs> because that's, to me, what it looked like. And I think if you played that game between Hamilton and Ottawa for the East Final ten times, I think we have a 5-5 split or a 6-4 split in favor of one team. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, if there's any team that I am not concerned about, it's the Hamilton Tiger Cap. Interesting. And I think they just ran into a team that wanted it more, that had more experience. But all of a sudden, June Jones is an offensive coordinator. Orlando Steinhauer is the coach. I don't know what they're going to do as defensive coordinator. I may have done something, but I haven't caught the news yet. Uh, not but if, on that one. But if you look at the way... Teams are set up with coaches. Hamilton scares me the most 
therefore the team that I have the least concern with. And just looking at it now, so you have Orlando Steinauer as head coach, June Jones offensive coordinator. Because um, I thought I read somewhere that Jerry Glanville wasn't coming back. I don't think... And you, and you also have Ryan Bolt, I think, as the special teams coordinator. Yeah, I think he's coming back. I don't think I don't think the Ticats website is up to date, so uh, I, I'm not 100% sure on that one, Mike. But you are as good as a team as the quality of coaches that you have. Yeah, I, I, I think you're bang on with that, Mike. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. And the Ticats look like they have very good coaching staff in place. They had a strong defense last year. They had a strong offense last year, despite missing a bunch of pieces. And, and I think the I agree with you. The Ticats are going to be a dangerous team in 2019. Uh, defensively, one of the teams that was at the bottom was the Montreal Alouettes. And I know coming out of last year, the Alouettes had holes all the way around the field. Um, but in the offseason last year, they brought a lot of guys in on defense. I thought we were going to make this team pretty good defensively. You know, they mm-hmm. brought in, uh, he, I forget if Hinoch Mwamba was the year, there the year before. No, I think they just brought him in again this year. Uh, he was previously with the team at one point. Uh, they brought in some guys along the defensive line, like Jamal Westerman, who ended up being shipped out to Hamilton as part of the... Uh, Johnny Manziel trade a couple weeks into the season, but brought in a bunch of guys in the defensive backfield at linebacker. I thought Montreal's defense was going to be better this year. Um, They still give up, you know, 28 points a game on the year, uh, which is just behind Toronto. Uh, Was the defense not good or was it a byproduct of a struggling offense? I don't know. You're to me, you're as good as, to me, you're as good as your offense if your defense as well. I mean, I mean, what made what made Calgary so good? Their defense. Right, and their defense was on the field not very much. They didn't give up a lot. They gave their offense a lot to work with. I, I, I think as a whole, if your defense has to overcompensate for your offense, that's a bad thing. I also think if your offense has to overcompensate for your defense, that's a bad thing. So if you can somehow get a 50-50 split on the teeter-totter, you're fine. That's fair. That's a fair assessment of it. I would agree as well. I think we saw some games where the defense certainly stepped up and had some big games. Uh, You know, if the Alouettes can just piece things together, I I think we're going to see an improved Montreal team in 2019. Uh, What improved means in the context, I don't necessarily know, but I, I think they have all their quarterbacks coming back next year. They're mm-hmm. finally developing some consistency there. Mike Sherman mm-hmm. coming back as head coach, I believe, correct? Yep. They got some consistency there. Uh, some people might not agree with who they have coming back as head coach and that quarterback, but regardless, they have some consistency. They have some bright young players. I know they re-signed Geno Lewis, who seems to be one of the brightest young players as part of that offense. William Stanback at running back. Uh and if their defense can keep playing like they, you know, start piecing, I think this is going to be an improved Montreal team for 2019. Here's the thing. What are you going to do? Your team doesn't perform one year. Are you going to blow it up again and start over again? You can't. And then, and then basically go back. You, you lose time every time you go back and do a reset. To me, Montreal's biggest problem was the offensive line. Mm. I, I think if you can give Johnny Mandel some proper tools around them, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, when you have no offensive line, you know, when your quarterback's running for his life the entire game long, there's really not much he can do, right? And we definitely saw that with Montreal a couple times. And I, I don't want to throw Montreal under the bus by any means, but if you put Johnny Mandel on the Bombers, I guarantee you he had more success than what he had in Montreal this year. Oh, probably. Um, this was a question put out there by, I think, the CFL uh, on Twitter this week. Uh, maybe it was somebody else. Uh, you've got this list of quarterbacks for the Alouettes. You've got Johnny Manziel, Antonio Pipkin, Vernon Adams. I think Matthew Schiltz is back. I think they may have brought in a couple more college players or uh, guys from down south uh, this offseason so far. As of right now, what does your Montreal quarterback depth chart look like? 
for 2019. I, I, I think, honestly, it, it, it starts exactly the way it ended last year. Manziel, Pipkin, and Schultz. Well, and what about Vernon Adams? Because Vernon Adams, remember, came in last year, played those couple games, looked good in them, and then got injured. So, I, I don't know, man. I, I think Vernon Adams might deserve to be a little bit up there. On can I can, can I float a suggestion? Sure. To you? Do you trade Vernon Adams to try to make your team better elsewhere? I, I think you stick with those three, maybe, of Manziel, Adams, and uh, Pipkin. But I, I could see the argument for that. Uh, Mike, I want to touch on a couple more teams here before we wrap this up. Okay. Today. Um, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, offensive struggles all year, uh, of big proportions, uh, you know, defense almost put up more touchdowns than the offense and the defense was putting touchdowns up at a rate that I, I just haven't seen. Um, do we expect both of these to kind of middle out a little bit more going into 2019 or, or, or can the defense keep up that pace going into next year? And uh, what do they need to do on offense to get better? Well, what do they need to do on offense? For me, it's simple. Find out who your quarterback is. Yeah. Um, Because I don't know if it's going to... Let's be honest. I'd be shocked if it's Atleros. Not based on the way he played, but just with the injuries that he suffered. And I don't know if Brandon Bridge is capable of leading a team as the number one guy. Yeah, we'll get into the free agency aspect of things more in a bit, but I, I'll say that, or like next time, I fully expect starting quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders next year just going out on a hunch to be Jonathan Jennings. Okay. Uh, he's a guy, and we'll talk a bit about BC maybe uh, yet, um, that didn't perform as much as expected. Uh, Certainly as much as I expected, because if you remember preseason 2018, I said Jennings would be a top three quarterback this year. That was laughable in hindsight. Um, You know, he won't be back in BC. Him and Ed Hervey, uh, him and his agent uh, had a fight with Ed Hervey. He didn't play particularly well. He's a free agent. Uh, I, I I see him going to Saskatchewan getting a rebirth there. Here, here's the way the quarterback thing, if you really want to get into this, here's the way I see the quarterback thing shaking down. Riley to BC, Lule to Calgary, and Jennings to Saskatchewan. Lule to Calgary, Riley. I, I could see it. I, I still think Mike Riley stays in Edmonton. I, I'll say that. The only, the only reason I say Lule to Calgary is protection salary-wise. And it leaves the door open for Mitchell to come back to Calgary. That's fair. That's fair. Just because I think it le- would leave money uh, under the quarterbacking. Because if, if you're going to go out and you're going to get somebody, it's not going to be at $200,000, I don't think either. Because if Calgary does that, I think that completely closes the door on Bowley by Mitchell. I think they just need a serviceable option. Because honestly, I believe that something tells me Bowley by Mitchell is going to come back to the CFL around Labor Day. I, I think he might come back sooner, but we'll get into that more. Uh, another team I want to talk about here, Mike, uh, I think when we did our preseason predictions, uh, if you had to pick a team to miss the playoffs out west, I don't know if we would have picked the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, certainly a rough year for them, a nine and nine record. Uh, what went wrong for Edmonton? What went wrong? Uh, quite honestly, they, their offense just didn't get it done. I I thought their defense, uh, I thought their defense did an okay job, but when it was all said and done, I didn't think Mike Riley had enough help around them. They also had a lot of injuries too. They, they did. Um, I don't know if I'd agree with you on the lack of help around O'Reilly, so to say. I mean, you have Duke Williams, who finished first in the CFL with uh, 1,579 yards. You have Brian Mitchell, who, for whatever reason, wasn't in the lineup early on in the year and didn't get in the lineup until 
like second half of the season once Darrell Walker went down, who lit it up in the time he was in the lineup. You had Darrell Walker, who I just mentioned, who was who put up 875 yards as well. Like Mike Riley led the CFL in passing yards, was top 10 in the CFL in rushing yards, had 30 touchdown passes. C.J. Gable was over 1,000 yards rushing. They got the offense. Personally, I think it was defensive struggles. Yeah, they they struggled against the run particularly, and I think it was discipline for the Eskimos. Who did the discipline stop and start with? Probably the head coach, Jason Moss. Headsets and Gatorade containers everywhere are still fearful of him. I I, I mean, uh, to me that was the that was the major flaw for the Eskimos uh, defensively. Uh, and the discipline, because they took a lot of penalties, right? And when you're taking penalty after penalty, you know, I look back at a game against Montreal where Montreal, that was, I think, Vernon Adams' first start this season. Mm-hmm. Where they maybe didn't move the ball particularly well, but Edmonton moved it for them. Yeah. It, and to be honest with you, what they've done so far in the off season hasn't exactly encouraged me if I'm an Eskimo fan. What what in what sense? What based on what? I mean, they. I believe they removed Mike Benavides, which is I think something that needed to be done. I would agree. I think I said they needed to move, remove one of Benavides or one of Moss. I think I said there was no situation in which I could see both of them come back. But as far as I'm concerned. They need to find players that will plug the respective holes on offense. They lost Mitchell to the NFL, Brian Mitchell. Yeah. They lost Darrell Walker to the NFL. No, I don't think Dur- I don't think Darrell Walker has gone to the NFL yet. Oh, no. uh, Duke Williams. Wait, not 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 Darrell. I'm thinking about the uh, Duke Williams. Yeah. Um, Edmonton and Calgary have lost the combined. I think I read somewhere 15 players to NFL opportunities to this point. Yeah, they lost some guys on defense. Edmonton did as well. So. Uh, and, and they have a hole right now at quarterback. Right. So I, I I don't know what to expect from Edmonton. But here's the situation for you. And we haven't talked about this very much. Is it concerning to you that free agency in February might be a standstill? What do you mean in that sense? Just from a standpoint, but basically every player I've heard from or heard about is saying we're not signing the contract until I know what the CBA looks like. I mean, that's common sense, right? Well, the CBA doesn't inspire till May. That that is a very risk. We could have a very quiet off season in the meantime, right? Because, like, and then all, all of a sudden, let's just say a few days before camp, the CBA gets resolved. There is going to be a flood of sign-ins. You can look forward to six podcasts a week from us at that point. I'm kidding. But, but here's the interesting thing. Based on what I've heard this week, Randy Ambrosi seems bullish about his CFL version 2.0. Seems to think the system is f- perfect, in his words. And I don't want to put words in the commissioner's mouth. But he seems to think that not much is going to change with the current system. Meanwhile, we have the players suggesting, well, they're going to have to change after change our benefits and all that kind of stuff and i wholeheartedly agree with that doesn't this doesn't this set up to you like we're gonna be in this for a long haul i i I sincerely hope that's not the case mike um but to answer your question from before you know if i'm a player and i realize hey things might change to where i can get more money if i sign a deal in may why would i sign a deal in february right and also I did leave the door open for a lot of these players to go to the Alliance of American Football if and when the CFL-CBA is not sorted out anytime soon. Right. Uh, one one final team I want to talk, because we haven't talked much about them before we wrap this up here, because um, we are running out of time today. Uh, the BC Lions, they finished with a 9-9 and record. They get the crossover spot, and they get mm-hmm. by the uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the crossover game. Um would you agree with my assessment that I don't think BC necessarily needs to change a whole lot? I would say their defense, while it had struggles early on in the year, and sure, 
you know, it may not have been the best defense in the league, but uh, there were some games where that defense stepped up with some huge turnovers and some big sacks late in the season. Uh, offensively, I mean, they've got a very strong running back position with Terrell Sutton and uh, Chris Rainey and Jeremiah Johnson. Granted, the agency, I don't know who's coming there. I think they've got some strong pieces at wide receiver. Uh, are they just missing strong quarterback play? Can I float this out to you in, in as a rebuttal? Sure. Devon Playbrooks is a great head coach. He's going to be a great head coach. Okay. The irony of the fact that, remember when Ed Hervey was in Edmonton? Yeah. Devon Playbrooks was in Calgary. Right. And Edmonton die higher than Calgary die. The irony in that. But, to get it back to what you said, I, I really believe that if BC deaths Mike Riley. I think we're looking at BC being one of the favorites in the West. It is Devon Claybrooks as head coach. Now, granted, they had Wally Buono the year before. Uh, what do we expect uh, Claybrooks to bring that's different? Uh, does it bring a new energy to this team? Because I was going to say, do we think the addition of Claybrooks is enough to you know put this team ahead? But you can't really get much better than you know the legend Wally Buono. But for me, here the only concern is if you've let the BC's coaching staff, and I think that's the coaching staff that also involves Drew Tate, among others. I think he also has Rich Stubler, the defensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but to me, the only thing that would concern me with Devon Claybrooks is the lack of experience on that BC coaching staff. And I, I would suggest that he, maybe if he hasn't already, comes up with some kind of plan to put himself in a situation to be successful with guys that have coached in the CFL in the past. Yeah, he's got Rich Stubler's defensive coordinator, Ryan Phillips' defensive backs coach, Chris Ellis' defensive line coach, Brian Chu, Nick Lewis as the running backs coach, Drew Tate as the quarterbacks coach, Keith Stokes, special teams and offensive assistant, and Taylor Altilio as the special teams coordinator. So he's got a good-looking coaching staff there, Devon Claybrooks does. Well, it's one thing that, and this is no knock on Devon Claybrooks, but I think he's going to do a wonderful job. But it's a lot like the team. You can have a wonderful team on paper, but when it's time to start performing and getting results, I'm just a little bit leery that there's some inexperience there. And, and I, I know Rich Stubler has been around and has been maybe going to be able to help Devon Claybrooks a little bit. But when it comes down to it, is it going to be a problem with some decision-making? Maybe we shouldn't at all be surprised that maybe it'll all be shining roses based on the last coordinator to take over as a head coach in Calgary and how that went. I don't know. Well, we'll see. But to me, I'm very intrigued with what BC ha is going to do. And for me, as of right now, before free agency even starts, to me, Winnipeg and BC are 1-2. Interesting. Because I think Calgary takes a step back with all their bodies that they lost and maybe, right. finishes, maybe finishes third. Mike, Calgary loses bodies every year. They finish first every year. I, I, we'll, we'll talk about this more as we do preseason predictions in 2019. But uh, spoiler alert: I will likely still have Calgary at number one. Ask me, ask me when we know who their quarterback is. Fair enough. That might change things a little. To be fair, uh, that does it for today, Mike. Any quick final thoughts before we wrap this up? Well, at the time of recording, they're about to start the uh, divisional playoff game in Kansas City, and it's snowing like they did in the Great Cup in Toronto. Wonderful. NFL playoffs in the snow. Doesn't get any better. Uh, for those of us who are not as well traversed in the NFL, uh, who's left in the playoff race at this point, Mike? Uh, uh, Indianapolis is the sixth seed, which is the last possible seed in the playoffs. They're going to play number one Kansas City this afternoon. Uh, Dallas plays in L.A. tonight. This is Saturday night. And then tomorrow it's the Chargers going to New England. And Philadelphia, the defending Super Bowl champions, going to New Orleans. So after uh, so after this weekend, we'll be down to the Final Four? Final Four, uh, two in each conference. The conference championships are next Sunday. Wonderful, wonderful. If you're an NFL fan, I'm sure you're looking forward to that. 
Uh, enjoy that football in the meantime. While we don't have any CFL football to play, that comes back uh, hopefully uh, late May with the preseason, but there's a lot to go on in between. Uh, we'll be back uh, next episode with our kind of off-season talk about what's happened thus far, all the coaching changes, uh, NFL tryouts, we've mentioned some of them, players changing places. There's a lot that's gone on so far. There's a lot to come as free agency comes around the corner uh, about a month from now. Uh, so a lot to talk about along the way. Uh, the Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And uh, as we roll into free agency, I'm sure all the other shows, uh, a lot of them are going to have their content out as well. Uh, so check out cfpodnetwork.ca and check out all the great CFL podcast content there, as well as at, at cfpodnetwork on Twitter as we get through the off season. Uh, looking forward to more football to come. Uh, follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. Mike, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mike Yarrow and uh, of course on Mike FM, I'm be doing whatever hockey team. Right, and you can find me at Cooper Trooper 42 on Twitter, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, wherever you're listening to this, uh, whichever podcast feed. Give us a like, subscribe, comment, uh, let us know how we did, and uh, we'll be back again uh, next week, Mike? Uh, sometime, yeah. Sometime next week, roughly around there. Stay tuned for the next episode of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day, and uh, happy 2019 to everybody. Uh, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.